52 episodes, 52 ordinary people, 52 real stories about things that affect overall health. Because there is a lot more that goes into being healthy than food and fitness. Inspiration, support, a new perspective, and knowledge. You'll find that and more here on the HealthAbility Project. Hi, welcome to the HealthAbility Project. I'm Robin McKenna. Parenting, a lifelong roller coaster ride that you are assured will cover almost every possible human emotion. And how could it not? As parents, we watch our children grow into unique people, having to let them succeed and fail on their own, having to watch them go through all the rites of passage that children go through to and through adulthood. Parenting is not for the faint of heart, as it significantly impacts the health and well-being of everyone who volunteers for the job. Lots of tears, happy and sad, pride and fear, laughter, sleepless nights, and I told you so days. That's the average experience of parenting. What is the experience, the impact to a parent's health and well-being when your child expresses gender identity nonconformity? As the parent, you are going through your own journey, and you are also watching your child go through his or hers. Here to share her story of how her child's transgender journey impacted her overall health and well-being is Sandra Kochman. As a light worker, Sandra feels a strong pull towards helping others and does so by using different modalities. As a holistic real estate professional, she incorporates body, mind, and soul throughout each transaction, embodying the skills she's developed as an intuitive Reiki healer into her process. As a Reiki master, she offers intuitive energy healing through in-person and distance Reiki, energy clearing of the home, meditation circles, and manifestation classes. And as a parent of a transgender child, she offers unconditional love and support to her daughter and to all of her children as they navigate the world around them and their own self-image. Thank you so much for being here with me today, Sandra. I am so thankful to have you. Thank you for having me, Robin. I'm honored to be here. I'm not really sure where to begin. Uh, there's so much to share, so much to ask, but I'm going to turn it over to you. Tell us how. Sarah became Sarah and how this impacted you and what your what your what your lens was emotionally and and obviously as a parent. So Sarah was very young when she was very clearly drawn to all things um designated girl or girly. Uh, she was a toddler, I would say 18 months old, when it became very apparent that she was drawn to the toys that were primarily uh, dedicated for girls and the clothes. And um, I had I had an older son who was um, a year older than her. And I was, I think at the time I was pregnant with my youngest, um, 
who they're all very close in age. Mm -hmm. And when I gave birth to my youngest daughter, I got a lot of clothes from friends, hand-me-down clothes Mm -hmm. for my daughter. And Sarah was just a toddler. So she was fitting into a lot of the clothes that were given to me. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the first indication, the fact that she at 18 months old was wearing anything that she could find that was pink or purple Mm -hmm. or glittery or had flowers on it. And as she got a little bit older, it became more apparent. So when she was in preschool, she was four years old. And that was the year that her journey into our allowing her to dress the way she wanted to dress at school began. Mm -hmm. So it started with, I believe it started with socks and then sneakers. We let her buy the sneakers that she wanted. Then it kind of moved up her body. Then Mm -hmm. she would wear leggings and then, um, Finally, by springtime, everything head to toe was from, you know, the girls department. And that summer between preschool and kindergarten, her father and I asked, do you want to start kindergarten as Sarah? Because she already had her name picked out. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's that's the final indication, I would think. (laughs) She had chosen that name. I think it was sometime that summer, maybe it was in the spring when she was still in preschool. Uh, And then she was, she said that she wasn't ready to start school as, um, as Sarah. Mm -hmm. So we sent her to kindergarten because she did have some challenging experiences um, in preschool as a Mm four-year-old dressing like a girl when she was identifying outwardly as a boy. That she be hard for you. Believe it or not, she had the most difficulty with the teachers, not the children. And um, that was very sad. And the teacher had uh, reached out to us after after that year and apologized for her um, just her ignorance of of the situation and her lack of sensitivity. So that's another story. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but I was going to say, because at that time, there wasn't really a whole lot of information to inform people how to move forward and how to be yeah. in that space, right? Because this is now 10 years ago mm-hmm. that she went through the, her her social transition. Mm-hmm. It's become much more, um, I would say, visible mm-hmm. in society since then. Mm-hmm. But when she went into kindergarten and she was in public school, the environment was very different and it was much more um, open-minded and welcoming. And she was, I think it was within the first two weeks of school, she said, I'm, I'm ready to be Sarah. So we met, we had a meeting with the teacher and the principal and the school psychologist just so that we were all on the same page. And it was a very smooth transition. And uh, that was it. That was um, the beginning of her her life journey as Sarah. By the end of that school year, we had legally changed her name and her gender identity on her passport. And things have been very easy since believe it or not 
That's great because I would imagine that that is not the common story with children. I have to ask, you mentioned that at a very young age, you saw an indicator and then she went off to kindergarten. Again, at the time, there weren't a whole lot of resources for people to inform themselves. Did you try to seek counseling or were you just having self-conversations? What was going on there? We found, her father and I found um, communities on Facebook, so parent support groups for trans kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were able to find a therapist who specialized in the LGBTQ plus community, Mm -hmm. a pediatric social worker. And when we went to see her, it was primarily more for, for her dad and I to help us support Sarah, despite whatever was going on in her life, but primarily with her gender identity. Mm -hmm. And she found that Sarah had very little gender dysphoria. She was just very comfortable Mm. as Sarah. And I think her father and I were so supportive of her from a young age that she didn't have a lot of trauma from it. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of kids who experience gender, very like a variation in their gender identity or questioning um, their gender identity or their gender nonconformity, conformity, maybe they're non-binary, maybe they don't necessarily always identify as male or female. They're somewhere in between. When they have, um, when their support group isn't as supportive, mm. then it becomes more challenging for the child, I think. And then it there's repercussions throughout the family. Mm. So it seems that because of the approach that you took very early on, I don't know if positive is the right word or not, but you you seem to just say, okay, this is it. We're moving forward with this and, and informing yourself, giving yourself a a healthy outlook, which allowed Sarah to then also absorb the healthy outlook that you were providing or, or showing off so that she herself could have that healthier outlook and, and, a, and a smoother transition than most children. Yes. I feel that I can't pinpoint exactly when this happened. I think it must have been sometime before kindergarten started between four and five years old, I gave myself permission to let go of my own expectations for my child. Mm -hmm. And with that came the realization that no parent should really hold any expectations for any of their children because there are children, but they're their own people. And they're going to have their own journeys and their own experiences. And I was actually talking to Sarah today about Mm. school and stuff that's been going on. She's actually going into high school next year. Oh my gosh. Wow. 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 I know. And I was telling her just kind of one of those conversations about being a human. And I said, we all as humans will have experiences for our own growth. Nobody comes into this existence with like just an easy ride. Mm. Everyone is going to have moments of 
sadness, of anger, of anxiety, of joy, of happiness, of heartbreak, of pain, suffering. We all have experiences and that forms who we become as adults. And the experiences aren't necessarily good or bad. They're just experiences that we learn and grow from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think that when she was very young, letting go of any preconceived expectation of what her life would look like in my mind made me a better parent. Did it also help mitigate fear and worry that you would have as a, as a parent? Yes. I, in general, don't tend to worry much mm-hmm. because worry is when you're anticipating something in the future that hasn't happened yet. Mm-hmm. And I try very hard to live in the now moment and to not have fear come in based on something that's not occurring or hasn't occurred. Mm-hmm. I, I'll i sometimes talk to you know family members who will say, do we have to worry about her and dating? And I'm like, why do we have to worry about her and dating? At the time, she was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. I'm like, she's a child. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why are we worrying about her dating when, you know, my biggest concern is like, when was the last time she showered? Um, <laughs> Not to mention just, you haven't even crossed the, the whole makeup conversation yet, let alone dating. Yeah. And I don't want to say I don't worry about anything because, of course, it's it's challenging to never have fear enter into your consciousness. But I don't worry about my children and their futures because it's, it's not, we're not experiencing it right now. So I heard somebody tell me once worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. You're doing a lot, but you're not getting anywhere. Something Uh, like that. That's insightful. Yes. I have to think of the quote because it was good, but it was like, there's a lot of motion, but you're not getting anywhere. It was something about that. Um, I just take each day as it comes and I try to support all of my children wherever they need it and letting go of what I'm hoping for them makes it much easier for me to be fully attentive to what their needs are. And do your two other children ever have questions about the journey for Sarah? No, not really. My son was so cute when he was... He must have been five because he's only a year older than her. Um, When we were talking about Sarah socially transitioning, we had, we sat the kids together because we thought it would be important for her brother to know that his little brother was going to soon be his little sister Mm -hmm. because we didn't know how that would impact him. My, my little one was a baby. So she, Mm -hmm. she was too young to even have an understanding of it, but he was so cute. My son said, well, if Sarah would be happy as Sarah, then that would make me happy. I know he's so cute and they are so close. They're very close in age. They're 14 months apart Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're like, they're almost like twins. And they're very close and they're very supportive of each other and they're very sweet together. 
That is amazing. Looking back, is there anything that you would have done differently or I don't know whether it's just a, a mindset or or even just maybe you mentioned earlier there was a teacher that was a bit challenging, maybe confronting that teacher or yeah, I think looking back, I would have been a little bit more outspoken with the teacher, but I was I was really not quite sure what was happening because Sarah was so little that mm-hmm. she couldn't really express herself well. So it was it was hard to really know what was happening in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I, I don't like to use the word regret because everything in life is a lesson. So mm-hmm. there should never be any regrets. But mm-hmm. I think about when she was, I think she was three and she was wearing a lot of girls clothes during the summer. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, it was right. Before, it was the year she was going to preschool because she turned four in the fall, mm-hmm. and I had to explain to her why she had to wear boys' clothes. Mm-hmm. And I made the analogy that her father had to go to work wearing a suit, but that's not the clothes that he's comfortable wearing. But it's what's appropriate for his mm-hmm. job. So I made that analogy that the girls' clothes were dress up and the boys' clothes were what was socially acceptable in in a way. And when I think back at that, I'm it kills me that I wasn't just like, you be you yeah. and wear your rainbows, you know? Mm. Yeah. But I was trying to protect her. Sure. And um I've learned. Yeah. Did she just- understand? Did she understand your analogy? I think so. And then little by little, we let her have a little peak of pink and purple here and there. And then the (laughs) hair started to grow. By the time she started kindergarten, she had long hair. And um, it was a super smooth transition. And her gender identity has never been questioned. She presents fully femininely. But what's ironic is... She dresses like a tomboy. She's in a big hooded sweatshirt every day and her hair is in a ponytail. She was very girly when she was little, when she was like five, six, seven years old, super girly. She was in Girl Scouts, selling the cookies and had her nails done and would only wear dresses. Then she realized that she doesn't have to wear dresses to present as a female Hmm. and now she looks like what you would say she looks like a tomboy but um her gender has never been questioned Mm -hmm. and I think because she's so confident it's never been an issue I'll bring it up to her every now and then and say do you want to talk about being transgender do you want to talk about every now and then I'll ask her if she's completely confident in her identity is female and she's like yes <laughs> like why are you even asking me i'm like i'm just checking in typical teenager though why yeah she's like mom <laughs> why are you asking these things but that's amazing sandra because i don't know is it a common thing that parents would take such an active role in their transgender children's lives yes because when you have a transgender child there is 
so much. Okay. Especially when they get to puberty age. Okay. Many parents will have their children um, on hormone blockers, which just delays your biological puberty. Okay. It doesn't reverse anything. It's it's nothing permanent. It's like a hormone suppression therapy. So Sarah's on that now, mm-hmm. which is funny because you can see like her brother, who's 14 months older than her, mm-hmm. towers over her mm-hmm. because she's still technically prepubescent at 13, mm-hmm. where all of her peers have clearly gone through puberty and have gotten taller. She's very short for her age. Mm -hmm. So we were speaking to her endocrinologist recently about hormones and hormone therapy. And what will happen is when Sarah is probably in the next year or so, Mm -hmm. we're going to start her on estrogen or we'll stop the blockers if she wants to go through male puberty. She's going to have to go on some sort of hormone therapy for her bone density. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just for her general health. Mm-hmm. And once she starts estrogen, she'll go through female puberty. So she'll get taller and she'll start to develop more as a woman. Mm-hmm. She won't ever have a uterus. <laughs> Well, I won't say that ever because you never know these days. Science, science. Yeah. <laughs> True. but. She is very adamant about not wanting to have any anything surgically done. Um, that may change as an adult. And she, that wouldn't happen until she is an adult. Mm-hmm. I think in New York State, she has to be 18 or 17. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not even something that she can do as a child or mm-hmm. con- consider. So the next step is hormone therapy. But everything is very slow and very non-aggressive and reversible. Mm. So even if she does start estrogen, if she decides, for example, this, this is something that comes into play with parents of trans kids. We need to discuss what their future is with them at a very young age regarding reproduction mm-hmm. and banking sperm. Mm. And with trans boys, do you know at what stage do they go with their uh, with puberty in terms of like getting their period and developing breast tissue? There's a lot, mm-hmm. and um, got to be overwhelming for parents, let alone the the child. It's very hard to predict, to make conscious decisions about what they may or may not want. 20 years from now it's 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 impossible (laughs) so the nice thing is that there's a lot of support for these for these kids and there's a lot of support for the parents and there's a lot of education out there in the medical community and it's constantly evolving Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what advice would you offer to parents who are having a harder time than the journey you've been on or, or even, I don't know, just some words of wisdom. I I just, it's, it's about unconditional love and support. I mean, for any child, but especially children, the suicide rate of trans 
people is 40%. Oh my God. It's very high. And most of that I think comes from lack of support. Wow. I actually know a, um, I have a friend who is a trans woman who adopted a trans boy because he was kicked out of his house. Wow. So she, and so the, the adults, she and her wife adopted this child. He's in his senior year of high school now in the same school district. And um, it's amazing to me how people will disregard their children because they had a different life plan for them. Mm, That's very sad. But thanks, thanks to people like that woman who you know, stepped up with her wife to adopt this child and all of the the resources that have have come to light and come forward in really such a short time frame when you think about it, right? I, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, other other things where the resources just pop out the way that they have. But I think that's, that's also a, an indication that people care and they want this to go well and they want people to to have a good journey and and be healthy. And I have also seen a lot of change in the school system. When Sarah was, I think she was maybe in second grade, Mm -hmm. they told me that in the district, they got rid of the policy of having the kids line up in the hallway, boys line and girls line. Hmm. And they just did it by number. So there's generally usually say 22 kids in a class, they each get a number So line number one is the first line is numbers one through 11 and then numbers 12 through 22. Mm -hmm. And so they don't make the kids sit at the lunch table based on their gender. They've basically gotten rid of a lot of things that are gender based. There's now gender neutral bathrooms. The principal of the primary school told me that she, when she was uh, renovating the bathrooms, she picked green and yellow instead of blue and pink. Great. For the bathrooms. One thing that I know a friend of mine is trying to deal with the school right now, all the kids have Chromebooks. So if your child's name isn't legally changed, you can have the child's preferred name, but because everything is so digital these days, everything defaults to their birth name. So if it's not legally changed like Sarah's is, it'll default to the the birth name. So now they're trying to be able to change it in the whole system. So the preferred name goes everywhere. So when let's say you've got a kid in high school and they find out who their teachers are and they go to log into the classrooms and they can see the class roster, it'll have the child's preferred name and not their birth name. Okay. It's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it seems it, but you are incredibly informed and that's great. That's great. I could see, I could see that it could be overwhelming for people though, you know, especially if they don't, they don't know where to turn or who to turn to, or they just can't let go of the expectation they may have had for their child. Like you, like you said, so, so nicely before, is there anything that you do for yourself when you do feel overwhelmed or, or when you did, it it doesn't sound like you feel overwhelmed or, or, you know, that everything is just so mitigated as far as the, the worry, the fear, but what would, what would you, I don't know, 
give people advice about if, you know, if they feel worried or anxiety or, you know, worrying about the future, which we obviously have no control and can't predict. What, what do you suggest? When Sarah was young, I joined a parent support group, like an in-person meeting at one of the LGBT community centers nearby. And I found that being there in support of other parents helped me so much with my own fears because I think just when you help people, you feel good. And um, I became friends with a couple of the parents and it was nice to have a close knit support system. Like even just like a text message thread for things that came up along the way. And even I still get messages from people asking, Oh, when you went, did the legal name change what did what paperwork did you have to fill out? What did you need to do for the passport? You know, we still support each other. That's great. Yeah, that's really great. It becomes like a new family. Mm-hmm. I actually had um our endocrinologist introduced me to another parent whose daughter is just a year older than Sarah, and then we introduced the girls, and they had no interest in being friends, but the mother and I have become very close and she's also a Reiki master. And I go to her place and take classes all the time. She, she has guests come in teaching a variety of classes. So she and I have become very close. And so we support each one another. And that has to be a great feeling. That's what gets you through, right? Because our kids are almost the same age. So they're, they're going through the same parts Uh of the, their transition. Well, Sandra, I can't thank you enough. This has been an incredible conversation. What an amazing journey for both you and Sarah. So thank you so, so much for being with me today to share it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Listeners, if you liked today's episode, please let us know, like us, share us, get on social media, tell your friends about us. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can email us at thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks very much, and we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us today at The Healthability Project. We'd love to hear from you, so please email us your questions, comments, or suggestions, including future guests, to thehealthabilityproject at gmail.com. And please like us, subscribe, and share us with your friends.